Hello, and welcome to Songs in the Key Of, a podcast about songs. These might be old songs, new songs, or middle-aged songs. Anything that takes my fancy, really. Sometimes these shows will be themed around an idea, a person, a genre, or some other concept. Other times they will simply reflect my latest obsessions, my new favourite bands. Those songs I can't get out of my head. So, let's get on with it. This week, as you may have gathered from the different opening music, it's a slightly different take on things. We'll be looking at the music of the great Russian romantic composer Sergei Rachmaninoff and seeing how his music has been used in pop and rock with alarming regularity. Sergei Vasilievich Rachmaninoff was born into a military family on the 1st of April 1873 in a place called Oneg. By the age of 19 he had graduated from the Moscow Conservatory and quickly found fame thanks to his prelude in C-sharp minor and his second piano concerto, both of which are going to feature very heavily over the course of this podcast. In Richard Taruskin's entry about the composer on Britannica.com, Rachmaninoff is described as being subject to emotional crises over the success or failures of his works as well as his personal relationships. Self-doubt and uncertainty carried him into deep depressions, one of the most severe of which followed the failure on its first performance in March 1897 of his Symphony No. 1 in D minor. He was something of a tortured soul, with self-doubt and fear of failure plaguing much of his life. Add to this the fact of the political turmoil within Russia, with the violence of the revolution prompting his self-imposed exile to the United States, from which he never returned. Rachmaninoff's music is bold, dramatic, furious and mournful. Utterly, utterly intense. So it's little wonder that bands and artists across several decades have found inspiration in his compositions. Over the course of this episode, we'll see how the way the holistic fusion of mind, body and soul, so apparent in his music, has inspired one band, while his heart-on-sleeve romanticism has inspired others, how his virtuosity proved inspirational to one act, while his very deep experience of depression and poor mental health proved something so powerful that an electro-pop duo couldn't help but use one of his pieces for a fundamentally honest assessment of desperate melancholy. Let's start with his prelude in C-sharp minor, a piece of music so popular in his own lifetime that it came to haunt him. It's full of thick, chunky chords, threatening menace on the one hand, and sublime beauty on the other.
There are two songs that I know of that make heavy use of this piece by Rachmaninoff. The first is Maloko's Pure Pleasure Seeker from their most popular album, Things to Make and Do. Pure Pleasure Seeker is an exercise in hedonism, as you might expect. Total indulgence in eating, drinking and making merry with or without the aid of other substances. It's a celebration of the fusion of mind and body into a single euphoric experience. And when you put it like that, there's little wonder that Rachmaninoff's music, with its all-encompassing heart-on-sleeve passion and attunement between mind and body, gets used as source material. It just makes perfect sense. The other song that borrows heavily from the C-sharp minor prelude, more heavily in fact, is John Grant's Pale Green Ghosts, taken from the album of the same name. Grant takes that very same piece of music and puts an entirely different spin on it. Rather than using it to celebrate the joyous Bacchanalian fusion of body and soul, he takes these intense, jagged discords and applies them to a song of torment and longing. Pale Green Ghosts is all about a yearning to escape. Back in 2013, on the album's release, John Grant told The Guardian, I'd take the I-25 between Denver and Boulder, which was lined with all these Russian olive trees, which are the pale green ghosts of the title. They have these tiny leaves with silver on the back, which glow in the moonlight, he explains. The song is about wanting to get out of a small town to go out into the world and become someone and make my mark. There's a push and a pull in this song. There's no linear path of our hero boldly stepping out into a glorious sunset. Pale Green Ghost is plagued with doubts and uncertainties. Those olive trees come pale green ghosts are offering warnings. Soldiers of this black highway helping me to know my place. I hope you get everything you wanted boy, I hope you conquer the world and turn it into your toy, but don't come crying when you're forced to learn the truth. And the harnessing of the C-sharp minor prelude is perfect for this, using strings instead of the original piano, there's a haunting malevolence to the song that becomes more and more intense as it progresses. Rachmaninoff himself understood much of what it was to experience depression and a yearning for some intangible better life which probably explains much of what lies deep within that prelude and much else of his music. So it seems like John Grant's use of one of Rachmaninoff's most famous pieces is a deeply appropriate piece of repurposing.
Another act that has made use of Rachmaninoff's heart-on-sleeve melancholy is the Pet Shop Boys. Better known for their colourful electro-pop, the duo used a piece by Rachmaninoff called Vocalese as the basis for their song Happiness is an Option from their album Nightlife. The original piece is a mournful tune, a kind of song without words where the singing is performed by a forlorn cello. In the hands of the Pet Shop Boys, the Rachmaninoff melody gets played by an oboe, with Neil Tennant delivering a kind of rap over the top, a meandering wander through feelings of desolation and depression, but always drawing back to this optimistic refrain. It is not easy, but don't give up now. It is not easy. Happiness is an option. And there are a couple of artists who have had a stab at playing around with more than just one Rachmaninoff piece. Eric Carmen's attempts are probably the most familiar example, so let's start with them. One of the criticisms directed at Sergei Rachmaninoff is that he's a bit sentimental, with a 1954 edition of Grove's Dictionary of Music and Musicians, no less, dismissing his compositions as monotonous in texture consisting, in essence, mainly of artificial and gushing tones. It was the sentimental side of Rachmaninoff that Eric Carmen explored with two songs, the first of which will be familiar to anyone who has had to get over a relationship with either Hugh Grant or Colin Firth, armed with nothing but a pair of pyjamas and a tub of ice cream. All By Myself from 1975 is one of those big torch song power ballads, it's full of strings and pianos that immediately recall the definitely not monotonous texture of the Russian composer. But there's a very clear, heavy reference directly to the second movement of Rachmaninoff's second piano concerto. Compare and contrast, for example, this... With this. 
Not to be content with begging, borrowing and or stealing from the composer once, Eric Carmen did so again the following year with Never Gonna Fall In Love Again. Just like its predecessor, it's a rather syrupy number, perhaps more so. While the music was taken from a piece of Rachmaninoff, the lyrics could easily have been copied and pasted from a teenager's diary. Never Gonna Fall In Love Again, I Don't Want To Start With Someone New, because I couldn't bear to see it end just like me and you. Oddly, the chorus, which is based on the third movement of our hero's second symphony, bounces along at a merry pace, belying the supposed agony that Eric Carmen is going through. He takes this smooth, even tender melody, and syncopates it into a jerkier, arguably more upbeat tune. which is a bit odd, I think. Certainly not as effective as the ballad for a billion Bridget Joneses that All By Myself was. Eric Carmen got into a bit of trouble for his pilfering. When writing All By Myself, he thought that the works of Sergei Rachmaninoff were out of copyright, what with the composer being long dead and all. Unfortunately for Eric, Rachmaninoff wasn't long dead enough and his estate got in touch to point this out. They reached a settlement to get it all ironed out. This involved giving the deceased composer a joint songwriting credit. The other artist to make double use of Rachmaninoff's melodies was Old Blue Eyes himself. There was I Think of You by Don Marcotti and Jack Elliott, which comes from the 1957 album Where Are You? And there's 1945's Full Moon and Empty Arms by Buddy Kay and Ted Mossman. There's no danger of any bounce or syncopation on these songs. Well, it's not Frank's way, is it? Both songs take the basic melody of their source material and allow Sinatra to just pour it out with the characteristic smoothness he's famed for. In the case of I Think of You, he takes the first movement of the second piano concerto, turning this... To this. Mm -hmm. 
whole new world of Mela. And he does a similar thing with Full Moon and Empty Arms. This song takes the third movement of the same second piano concerto, which sounds a bit like this. and delivers another romantic belter, a song of dreamy longing. Full moon and empty arms, the moon is there for us to share, but where are you? Of course, Frank Sinatra wasn't the only one to record this song. For better or worse, Bob Dylan has had a stab at it too. Of course, Bob's voice is a world away from Frank's, where Sinatra's was as smooth as the Jack Daniels bourbon he was never seen without, Dylan's voice is gravelly and husky. But he does his best, bless him, straining as he does so. Even in the hands of Mr Dylan, there's a tenderness and gentleness to the song, which captures at least something of the spirit of Rachmaninoff's original melody. Full moon and empty The moon is there for us to share, but where are you? A night like this could weave a memory, and every kiss. Could start a dream for two Full moon One of the things that is most striking about the music of Rachmaninoff is just how phenomenally difficult it sounds. Particularly if you're a pianist yourself. Swirling arpeggios and cadenzas with melodies flying around all over the place and great big clumping angry chords thrusting their way through the musical undergrowth. If you wanted to show off while playing the piano, anything by Rachmaninoff would be fair game. Talking of show-offs, let's turn our attention to Matt Bellamy of Muse. There are two songs that will be worth a mention here. Butterflies and Hurricanes from 2003's Absolution and Space Dementia from the preceding album, Origins of Symmetry. The thing about Butterflies and Hurricanes is that it doesn't actually use any of Rachmaninoff's music at all. There's a passing resemblance to the third movement of the second piano concerto, the one Frank Sinatra and Bob Dylan referenced in Full Moon and Empty Arms, but for the most part it's just Matt Bellamy noodling around with no little virtuosity, heavily under the influence of old Sergei.
space dementia, by comparison, is a different story entirely. This song takes the first movement of the second piano concerto, as used on Sinatra's I Think of You, albeit a different section of that movement, to create something far from the virtuoso showing off found on the Butterfly song. It's a really simple melody that Muse use here. taken from this bit of the Rachmaninoff original. Rachmaninoff himself wasn't averse to borrowing other people's music. There are two prominent examples with his themes and variations of Chopin and, most famously, Paganini. Let's take Chopin first. Between 1902 and 1903, Rachmaninoff created 22 variations on a prelude in C minor by Chopin, which goes like this. The resulting variations go off in all directions with the usual flights of fancy and whirlwind dexterity you might expect of this particular composer. It's cheating a bit to talk about a song by Barry Manilow and later covered by Take That which was actually inspired by this Chopin prelude, but given Rachmaninoff did get his mitts on it too, I hope you'll forgive this slight diversion. The song in question is, of course, Could It Be Magic? Compare and contrast. Sweet Melissa, angel of my lifetime, answer to 
And then we come to the final instalment of Songs in the Key of Rachmaninoff, which takes us to one of his most famous pieces, Variations on a Theme by Paganini, in particular the 18th variation, and how that got reinterpreted in a classic rom-com from the 1990s. Let's start with the theme itself. Paganini was the Robert Johnson of his time, believed to have sold his soul to the devil in exchange for his phenomenal skill as a violinist. His most famous composition, which is what Frank Maninoff based his variations on, sounds like this. The melody was famously used in a jazzed up form for the theme tune to the South Bank show presented by Melvin Bragg. As with the Chopin variations, Rachmaninoff's treatment of this melody takes us on an epic series of splendid deviations. There's this. And there's this. installment something very different happens. The 18th variation is perhaps the most famous of all Rachmaninoff's works and on the face of it it sounds absolutely nothing like the theme it's supposedly based on until you look at the music written down. Of course music is like the inverse of all good Victorian children supposed to be heard and not seen but what Rachmaninoff does here is simple but amazing. And it is all about inversion. He takes the basic melody and uses a mirror image of it. Where the original melody goes up a third from A to C, this variation goes down a third from C to A. He then flips it from minor to major and changes the time signature from 4-4 to 3-4. The result is magical and rather spectacular in its sumptuousness and beauty.
incidentally, in 1979, a band called the Corgis, maybe most famous for their song Everybody's Got to Learn Sometime, released a song called If I Had You, which pulls and tugs at the melody of the inverted 18th variation again to create this. Songs like this provide evidence of why punk rock both had to happen and how, in some ways, it didn't make a blind bit of difference. Anyway, back to the rom-com. 59 years after the composer's reinterpretation of Paganini, along comes Bill Murray in a film about getting stuck in the same 24-hour period over and over again. Rachmaninoff's music had been used in a fair few films over the years, most notably the Second Piano Concerto, which is proving the most popular of his works for pop cultural scavengers, was used extensively in Noel Coward's melodrama Brief Encounter. And that very same concerto, again, is used to hammy comic effect in the Marilyn Monroe vehicle The Seven Year Itch. But it's the Bill Murray film that takes the actual music and does something different with it. The main point of Groundhog Day is that Murray's character, Phil, needs to learn more about himself, become a better version of himself to win the heart of Andy McDowell's Rita. But during the time allocated to him, reliving the same day over and over again, he learns to become an amazing pianist as well. The result is he's able to showcase his newfound talent at a charity event. He pounds his way through a riot of boogie-woogie until he sees Rita approach from the other side of the room and then he slows the mood down and out comes this. It's almost a musical summary of his character development over the film from a brash self-absorbed show-off to a tender-hearted romantic who's still able to engage with himself to become a better version of himself.
So there you have it, a blow-by-blow -blow account of how Rachmaninoff's music has been reworked time and time again throughout pop music and pop culture. I hope you liked it. Drop me a tweet on at Reviewage if you found any other examples of Rachmaninoff's work or any other composer in your record collection. I'll be back next week with another 10 songs in the key of something or other else. You'll have to tune in then to find out exactly what. In the meantime, have a marvellous few nights and days till we meet again. Thank you.